You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Today we are wrapping up our series on prayer, the invisible war. We've been taking a look at the unseen battle uh, of the spiritual realm and through prayer. And we've been kind of unlocking some of the keys of effective prayer and powerful prayer prayers. And today we're going to look at how to pray. And uh, we're talking about this great gift, this great privilege, this great opportunity that we have. Uh, It's probably the most important tool of a follower of Christ, but unfortunately it's also the number one most neglected tool, spiritual tool that we have. Prayer is not meditation. Prayer is not reflection. Prayer is not positive thinking. And it's not so much something we do as much as it is someone that we are with. Uh, It is a place. It is a place with God. Now, before we dive into prayer and the value of prayer again this week, I, I want to tell you a little bit about my story with prayer. I became a follower of Christ at 15, I'm sorry, at 13, and then I moved to Texas at 15, and uh, we started going to a church that was kind of known for prayer. It was a, in fact, it was considered one of the global centers for prayer, and uh, the pastor of that church wrote the most popular book on prayer that has ever been uh, written in, in the modern day. It's called Could You Not Tarry, and it was about uh, the disciples uh, Jesus, like, couldn't you pray for at least an hour? Could you not pray with me for at least an hour? So the, the book was called Could You Not Terror? Could You Not Pray? At least an hour was the idea. And, um, and this became the, the prayer center that everyone there, honestly, it was like, it was like a 10,000-member church at its highlight. And uh, people were signed numbers, prayer warrior. We wore dog tags. It was, it was serious. <laughs> we, we wore these dog tags. Everybody had a number. And we were part of this prayer army. And uh, he would set up these events all over the world, and he would go into these cities and rent out, you know, the, all the large convention centers have these giant prayer breakthroughs, and they, they'd have these, these, like, serious prayer moments and experiences, and, and at church, they, they really taught really strongly on prayer, and, and I became uh, what I consider, like, like, someone of prayer, like, deeply rooted and passionate about prayer when I was about 16 years old. Uh, right after I moved here, and, and I had a hardship license, so I was like driving at 15, and um, that, that, that means your, your mom's single, and you get a license early, and I don't even think they do that anymore, but um, I would get up every, every day at 5 o'clock, and I would drive to the church campus for an hour of prayer from 6 to 7, and, 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 and this was like a 10,000-member church, and about 30 people would show up for prayer every day, and I was like, man, I was one of the elite Right? I was like, I, I thought, man, I really knew how to pray, and I started leading the early morning prayers, and then I started teaching on prayer, and, and, and prayer was a big part of my life, and, and, and I became passionate about prayer, and our church, we were the praying church, and we were, and, and God had to teach me a lot about myself, because what I had become, I started becoming a Pharisee of prayer. I becoming I became someone who says, you know, if you're not praying an hour, if you're not praying like this, if you're not praying this method, if you're not praying this formula, uh, then you're not really someone who knows how to pray. And you, you need to learn how to pray. And you need to follow these steps. And God began to break me. He began to humble me as I began to be a Pharisee of prayer. And so I had to kind of start over. I had to be set free from my legalism to prayer. Because prayer is, is a freedom. It is a, it is a privilege. It is an opportunity. And listen, 
as we're going to find out here in a minute, maybe you don't know how to pray. Well, pray anyways, because that's the best kind of prayers. We're going to find out right now. Jesus was asked by his disciples, how do we pray? And in three of the four Gospels, Jesus gives us what's known as the Lord's Prayer. And what it really is, it's the disciples' prayer. Because he says, this is how you should pray then. But before he gave him that prayer, he said this. He says, and when you pray, he says this. Jesus, by the way, assumes that his disciples pray. He doesn't say, you know, if, whenever you think about it, whenever you're going to pray, whenever something happens, then, then this is how it should be. No, he says, when you pray, there's an expectation that disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, pray. He says, so when you pray, he says, don't pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, that's the churches, and on the street corners to be seen by others, that's to get attention. They like to impress others, to show how spiritual they are. Maybe Thanksgiving, who wants to pray? There's like, oh, me, right? There's like that guy who always wants to say, I'm, I'm the guy who wants to pray, right? And they're like, and this guy's like, oh, Father. I was, I was at a service recently, and there was a guy who said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray now. And he's, we come before thee, God, before thy throne, and we pray, we thank you for thine blessings. And I'm like, man, this dude's praying King James, you know. He's legit. You know, he, he was like, had this down. But I thought, you know, Jesus said, don't pray like those hypocrites who just like the attention. He says, truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. What's their reward? Accolades. People go, man, that dude can pray. That's your reward. Not, not the prayer that you ask, but the praise that you get. He says, wow, how spiritually they are. Well, that's all the rewards you get. So I want you to write this down. Remember, you don't need to be a professional at praying. Good news, y'all. You can stumble, you can stutter, you can struggle through your prayer, and God loves it. He loves you being you in your prayer time. He loves you not by some formula, not by some skill. Now, we're going we're gonna to learn here in a minute how to pray a model by Christ, but, but there's no formula. There's no, there's no like perfect process words or way. You know, you buy these, sometimes there's prayer books and you just like pray them. Man, if I could just knew the words to say when I prayed, then maybe it would happen. So you, you get these prayer books and you pray like, okay, I prayed the magic recipe and somehow it's going to happen. Listen, you don't need to be a professional. Struggle through it. All right, God loves the humility and the brokenness of someone who will just pray, just talk to him. Verse 6, he says, and when you pray, he says, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, this is an actual room and a symbolic room. Maybe you need an actual place. Maybe you're a mom and you need a break from your kids, and you have a place in the house where nobody's allowed to go. It's your bathroom. <laughs> Or maybe it's your closet, or maybe it's your bedroom, and you need to go to a place. Maybe it's that place in your car. You just, maybe you need a place where you can center yourself. But listen, this is not so much about a place that is in a room or a house or a cabin or a lodge. It is the place of your heart, the secret place of your heart. Now, when I grew up in this church that was all about prayer, they emphasized an actual place of prayer. 
And they, they emphasized the church, and, and they encouraged everybody to have their own prayer closet. And I had my, my little prayer zone in my bedroom. This was like my prayer place, right? This is the place where I found God, you know, in place of prayer. Listen, you don't need to go to a place because the place, if you are a follower of Christ, is in you. It's your heart. So he says, it's not about getting in front of people. It's about finding that place in your heart. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying in front of people. Jesus prayed in front of people a lot. And actually, the Lord's Prayer is a corporate prayer, inviting us to pray together corporately. The emphasis here is that we're not praying for others, for others' accolades or praise. We're praying for God. He says this in your Father, if we pray with humility and brokenness in our heart, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Write this down. Prayer requires more than more of the heart than of the tongue. Listen, prayer is, is simply, if you want to just define it simply, we talked about this last week, it's just talking to God. That's what prayer is, talking to the Lord God, the one and true sovereign Lord. That's just, it's just talking with him. And, and when God says to pray, just, just talk, just begin. Verbalize it if you want to, you know. Uh, you know, pray inside, pray outside. You know, it, it's, a, this, it's not so much about your tongue as it is about your heart. Prayer is always directed to God. You're not praying for the benefit of other people to, to think that you know how to pray, but you're praying to God and God alone. Your heart is what he's looking for, your motives and your humility. He goes on to say, and when you pray, notice he says three times when you pray, don't pray like this. And when you pray, don't pray like this. And third time, and when you pray, don't, he says, don't keep on babbling like pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. This is repetition. This is formulas. This is, this is you know, I used to go to these prayer meetings where it's like, no, we're going to pray all night. We're going we're gonna to press through until we break through, baby. You know, maybe you've been to those kind of things, you know, and it's all about how long can you pray until your spirit gives out, right? Until you're exhausted, until, until you're just, just beat, you know, and it was all about how long it could go and how intense it could go and how, you know, how many words can you put in? How many times can you say Jesus and stomp your feet and pray the formula, you know, or whatever you, you heard somebody else pray and you like that. So you're going to copy that prayer and, and listen, you don't have to get all sweaty. You don't have to get all stomping. You don't have to get demanding. Many times the more words we say, the more demanding we get. This is about not formulas or repetition or liturgy. This is about our heart. Write this down. You can't impress God with your prayers. He says, don't be like those that just pray and pray and pray to impress other people. Prayer is not about getting favor from God. It's not the golden ticket. Some people say, man, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for an hour every day until I get it. Well, you should pray every, you know, if you want to pray an hour every day, that's great. But that should be so that you can grow closer to God, not to get what you want. Sometimes we pray to get. I have, I have a question for you. When you pray, are you praying because you see God as useful or beautiful? Because a lot of times, like, man, I'm just praying because I need something. Because I want something, and I'm going to declare something, and I'm going to demand something, and I'm just going to pray. And I'm, You know, we talked last week how God loves persistent prayers because it purges us of ourself. 
It purges us of our, of our arrogance and our pride. It purges us and causes us to rely and to trust on God and to wait on God. That's the purpose of persistence. It's not this whole, if I just keep, if I just keep gnawing at God, he's going to get me what I want. He's not the golden ticket. Prayer is not the key to unlock your issues. I don't pray better than any of you. I might pray more confidently, but I don't pray better. Because your prayers, rooted deep in Christ, that are humble, are just as powerful than any prayer unto Christ in this room. Now, I pray with confidence because of experience, but your prayers are just as powerful and sometimes maybe even more powerful because sometimes people who, quote, know how to pray, they pray in the flesh. They pray their knowledge, their understanding. They pray their formulas. They pray their words that they know that they just, you know, how many times have you ever heard someone pray the exact same prayer for meal? You know, it just kind of flows out. You know, like, you know, think of our food, think of our you know, blessed to the nourishment of our body, da 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 you know. It's like, and sometimes your evening prayers or your night, listen, make them authentic. Make them real. Make them from the heart. It's not, it's not about so much your confidence in your ability. It's a confidence in God's relationship. We're going to talk about that in a second. And there's the next thing he says. Don't be like them. So it says, when you pray, don't do this. When you pray, don't do this. When you pray, don't do this. Fourth one is when you pray, don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. Remember, write this down. Prayer is about fueling our faith, not informing our God. If we don't get in a place of prayer, good God, I know you're kind of busy in the Middle East right now. But God, could you just take a look at what's going on in my house and my family? I would, can I just have a minute of your time? God, I don't know if you heard the news, but I lost my job. God, I, I know you're kind of busy, but I'm, I'm sick. And I could really use your prayer. God, I'm tired, and I know you got things that are going on in the White House, but God, I need you right now. And we, we somehow sometimes forget that God knows already what you're praying for. Why does he want us to ask? We talked about this before. It's because the ask is a declaration of dependence on the giver. He wants us to ask because it acknowledges who it's coming from. He already knows, but he wants you to ask. Remember, it's about fueling our faith, not informing our God. You can't tell him something he doesn't know, which means right now, right now, he knows what you need. And right now, he knows what you're going through. And right now, he's able to do it. So then Jesus gives us probably one of the most popular prayers in the Bible. So let's read it together. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's really a prayer for the disciples, for those that are disciples to pray. So let's read it together. It's on the screen. This is how you should pray. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I can only hear one or two of you. So let's, let's do this version. I know some of you guys are inclined to pray the King James, which is cool. But so that we can do it in unison, let's pray. Just pray this one, all right? So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
See, let me tell you something. This is not an incantation. This is not a good luck charm. This is not what you pray at the sidelines. You know, this is not the pregame prayer that guarantees the win or a job interview. All right, I'm going to this job interview. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom come, thy will be. You know, sign of the cross. Thumbs up to Jesus. The big guy's got it now. It's in your hands, God, right? And we kind of pray this prayer as if it's some kind of special charm or a penance. You know, some traditions, some Christian traditions, they'll, they'll, they'll say, well, you need to, you know, ask for forgiveness. That's great. But now you need to say the Lord's Prayer like a hundred times. That's a really bad prayer, right? I mean, a really bad deed that you did. So you need to pray like 10 times or 20 times. And it's not payment for our sin, But what's powerful about this prayer is it includes everything you can imagine. It includes the supremacy of God, our dependency on God, the kingdom of God, the will of God, and the power of God. It includes everything. And the Lord's Prayer is a model that Christ gives us. It's not a magical saying to recite. And it's more of a model of an outline and less of a formula to follow. So what I want us to do is I want to take the Lord's Prayer, and there's five parts that teach us how to pray. Now, some of you guys are like, I don't know what to pray, man. I know I'm supposed to pray. But, man, I pray. I'm like, God, uh, thank you for this day. Um, and I've got some things I'm going to ask for, but, you know, thank you, God. And, you know, thank you for this food. And, you know, I don't know what else to say. God, I'm just kind of stuck. Well, this is it. This is the how to pray. And every time you pray, if you can follow this model, uh, you'll, you'll have to pull yourself away from places of prayer just to get to work on time, just to, just to get to school. Uh, and, and, and then you don't leave that place of prayer. You take it with you, all right? And you walk in that place of prayer throughout the day. So this has the potential to unlock your prayer life in a very powerful way, all right? So let's take a look at it. And the first one he starts off with is our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. And it always begins with praise. It begins with praise. When we pray, it starts with a call to worship, a declaration of holiness, a, a pronouncing of his greatness and of his faithfulness and our humility and brokenness before that God. Listen, when we come in here to sing, we're not just trying to wake you up. Sunday morning's the worst time to learn. You know that. I mean, you got a crazy week, you know, and then you, you're doing who knows what on Saturday, maybe working or house stuff, and, you know, and most young people, you're up all night, Saturday night, either playing video games or out with friends or watching late night television, you know, binging something on TV, and, and then you're like, oh, it's church, and you're like dragging yourself to church, and, and you're like, you're sitting there, and you're, you're just doing everything you can to stay awake. Somebody didn't go, hey, I got a great idea. Let's start off with some music. That'll get them awake. That'll wake them up, and so like, oh, I'm just not feeling it, and you're like, oh, I'm just tired. Just let's sit down, and then listen, music was not an idea to wake you up. This is a part of the process of prayer. This is a house of prayer. That is the church, the body of Christ. When we gather together, this becomes a, a communal corporate place of prayer. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It begins with a corporate declaration of God's greatness. And some of you, you need to learn how to praise a little better. Some of you guys, it's not a time of singing songs. Stop 
referring it in your mind as it's the song time. A couple of fast ones, a couple of slow ones, announcements, message. Yes, there is a process that helps us to get everything in, but the point is to begin our time with a declaration of God's goodness. So praise. Praise him. Declare his goodness. Let's do it together. Try not to cross your arms, you know. And you don't have to sing, but some of you, it's time to sing. You're like, well, I don't know how to sing. Well, that's why the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Some of you guys, you make wonderful noises. And you just, man, you make that noise. And you praise him, all right? And then it says our we need to learn to praise and pray together. We talked about this last week. Eight times this is our, us, and we. The community of God calling out to God together. This is a corporate prayer. Our Father. God, thank you. Thank you, God. We're singing. And then it says our Father. As we said before, that prayer is a family privilege. Prayer is a relationship basis. It's not a formula. It's not a form. It's not a fashion, but about a father. And there's this, there's this picture here, and I love this. That it's not just, we're not just praying to God as a parent. We're praying to God as a father, a masculine, strong authority. This is, this is the, the closest possible relationship title that a follower of Christ can have to God. Father. Because in that father relationship, there's comfort, safety, strong arms, joy, play, and provision. There's also this sense of inheritance that's yours, that's given from the father. Man, it's, it's an incredible, incredible word. In fact, the word doesn't mean father. It means daddy. He said, man, when you pray, daddy. Man, when you pray, it's, it's, see, some of you, all he is is father. But he is daddy. The closest possible. Listen, I got kids that call me dad. And there's some of you that might even call me a spiritual father. But there's only two kids on this planet that call me daddy. Only two. Because they're mine. What a relationship. God says, just call me dad. No better yet, call me daddy. He says, our father, our daddy. Other religions present God as a creator, a ruler, a commander, a judge, or even a king. But only the God of the Bible reveals the Lord as father. A loving, caring, nurturing, protective father who calls us his own family. And you know, the view of your father in this life, can play a role in your faith with the Father in heaven. Some of you, you've been wounded by your Father. You've been hurt, maybe left behind, abandoned, or abused by your Father, or maybe an absent Father. And so because of that relationship Father wound, there's this gap and there's this disconnect with our Heavenly Father, and you have a hard time with that. Listen, I want to tell you something. He's a good dad. He's the Father you've been looking for your whole life. The Bible says he's a father to the fatherless. It says our father. And it's true, we all have a father. Jesus tells us there's two fathers. There's the father of lies in John 8, That's the devil. And many of you follow his lies, and he is your father. 
And then in James, the half-brother of Jesus says there's the Father of lights, which is our heavenly Father. He's the good and loving Father of heaven. Who do you believe? Who do you follow? Who is your Father? He says, our Father who are in heaven. Listen to this for a second. Heaven. It's not a God who's in a building someplace on the earth. And he's not just a God of this planet, but the, he is a God of the heavens. Our God who are in heaven. Listen, the God that we pray to, that we worship, that we know is Lord of all. He's king of all. And he is not like us. His ways are not like ours. God is infinitely above the earth. He is infinitely above all of our thoughts, our actions, our, our desires, our wills. Listen, Heavenly Father. You know, Mormons call their God Heavenly Father as well. But it's not the God of the Bible. To a Mormon, Heavenly Father is a God of a single planet, this planet. And to a Mormon, there are many fathers in the galaxy but they only talk to what they believe is the God of this planet and that there are many gods out there. Well, that's not the God of the Bible of all. Our Father is the Lord of all, of all creation, all planets, the universe, the galaxy. That is who we pray to, our Father in heaven. Isaiah says this, 55, he says, For my thoughts, this is God saying, he said, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Listen, we pray to a God who is over all, knows all, sees all, created all, and is in and moving through all things. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere simultaneously, exhaustively. That means he's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful, can do anything he wills to do, and that he's not like us. He's omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. That means he knows everything you have need of, and he's immutable. He's unchangeable. This is the God of, of the heavens that we pray to. He is good, he is perfect, and he is different in all his ways. So says our God in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy. Holy means separate, righteous, good, not like us, set apart, perfect. See, the Bible says in Revelation that the angels cry out for eternity, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they bow down and they look up again and they go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then they bow down and the Bible says they look up again and go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come and for eternity. God, you're holy, you're different, you're perfect, you're righteous, you're set apart. You're like nothing else. Isaiah mirrors that in Isaiah 6.3. He says, and the angels call out to one another and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. He's good. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. Our prayers are rooted in this. His majesty. His mercifulness, his impartialness, and he's magnificently good. When, when tragedy strikes, he's still good. He's still perfect. And then he says, your name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's just something about that name. Everybody say Jesus. There's just something about that name. 
What is the name of God? Well, the proper name of God is given in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, for the very first time. It says, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And then we see it again in Isaiah. We see it all through Genesis. And in Isaiah, he says, I am the Lord. This is my name and my glory I will not give to another. Whenever you see those four letters, L-O-R-D, in the Old Testament, particularly when it's capitalized, it is the name of God. We say it as Yahweh, but it's really an unpronounceable name. It's four letters. It's the tetragrammaton. It's four letters. It's the yad heh And these four letters are unpronounceable. In fact, if you were to attempt to pronounce them, it would sound like this. Yahweh. It would sound like air. sound like breath. And you look at the name of God. Hand of God, behold, breath. Nail, behold, breath. So you have in the very name of God, you have the hand-pierced nail of Christ in the very name of God. So you have this, Yahweh. think about it, the very first sound out of a baby when they're born is the name of God. Yahweh. And the very last sound we make as we pass from this life to the next is the name of God. Yahweh. Yahweh. And there are names of God all throughout the scriptures that declare his attributes and his power. Many of them, hundreds of them, but yet there is one that is the name above all names. The one that is the greatest name of all. The one who fulfills all of the names of the God of the Bible. And that is Yeshua HaMashiach. That is the Hebrew word that means Jesus Christ. Yeshua, Jesus, HaMashiach, Messiah, Christ. In Greek, they would pronounce it Christo. And over the course of time, it's been translated into Jesus Christ. He is the name that fulfills all names. He is Yahweh with human skin. He is Yahweh who has come to save. In fact, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. It's what it means. Yeshua is Yahweh, our Savior. Jesus is Yahweh with skin. This is what it says in Philippians. It says, but Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, a human being, being born in the likeness of men. This is the Christmas story. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the Easter story. And therefore God exalted him, Yeshua, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven on earth and everything under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, every person in this room will at some point in some day, at some time, say Jesus is Lord. Maybe you don't buy into this whole Jesus thing right now. Maybe this is not, this is not your thing. And you're here as a friend or as a guest, and you're not sure why you're here, but, but you're here, and you're like, yeah, I'm just checking it out. Listen, you will say Jesus is Lord someday, and you can do it now and reap the benefits of that family, or you can do it later when it's too late and reap the judgment of your sin. He is Yeshua. Acts 4.12 says salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Even at that name, the demons tremble. Let's say it out loud again. Jesus. The demons trembled. 
I live to make that name famous, to make his name great, and to establish and extend the kingdom of that name on the earth. All right, so we spent a lot of time on that part because we hadn't talked about those before. We're going to go through these next parts pretty quick. We begin with praise. And then it's purpose. Your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is probably uh, and possibly the most dangerous prayer you'll ever make and the dangerous part of this prayer. This is a surrender of trust and authority to God, something we don't do very well. I was thinking this week, and I have like these envelopes to represent these different types of prayer that we have. So let me go through these. Uh, this is a self-addressed envelope. You guys ever get these in the mail? Uh, you might throw them in the garbage because a lot of times they're surveys or they're a bill uh, uh, and they really want a bed. Or it's an attorney or it is a, um, uh, could be uh, uh, just a two, two, send, two home, you know, two home occupant type of thing. And this one is already addressed to, to the hospital. And, and this kind of represents the prayers that we just make generically. Around the world, there are people that are praying. Hindus, Muslims, people in tribal communities and villages. They're praying. And somehow we just think it, that, that if we pray, it's just going to get to God. Oh, it's going to get someplace. But it's not going to get to the throne of God because there's only one way to get there. We're going to talk about that in a second. But a lot of times we think prayer is like a self-addressed envelope. If I just pray, boom, it's going to be answered and it's going to get to God. But there's an issue with this prayer. It goes to the wrong place. And then there's this kind of prayer. We like this one because it's written out to Jesus Christ, heaven lane, streets of gold, throne of God, 77777, right? So we, we got the formula down. We got, I know, some of you are like, if I just pray, whatever I pray, and I just tag at the end, in Jesus' name, boom, God's got to answer it. You ever pray like that? I'm praying for this, I'm praying for that, and then here it is, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Pull the lever, right? Push the button. You get what you want. Somehow we think that that's kind of the, the, the magic word to answer our prayers. And so we got the address right in Jesus' name, but this we, we, we can't have confidence that this is going to reach the throne of God because it's missing something. It's called postage. So then we go to this one. This is church letterhead. <laughs> All right. So same, this is our church logo here. And so we're like, man, it's not praying. I'm, I'm, I'm not getting answers and I'm praying. I'm not, it's not happening. So I'm just going to go to church because something happens when you pray at church, right? Man, prayers that happen in church are prayers that reach God. Some people think, man, it's not working at work at my prayer closet at home or, you know, it's just, so I need to get to church and get to pray. And so we pray in church. God, I know I'm not a person who lives for you every day, but here I am in church, and this is what I need. We put it in. We say it in Jesus' name, throne of God, 77777. We think it's going to get there, but it's missing something vital also that is postage. Now, this letter is going to make it wherever I send it. Why? Because it has a stamp on it. This stamp is an acknowledgment of the government. The stamp is an acknowledgment of the government process. It's a stamp that acknowledges the government's authority to process my mail. And when I put a stamp on something, in a perfect world, right, it gets there. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't. But we have that confidence that when I put it in the mail, because it has the stamp, it is in submission 
to the authority and to the process and to those that process the mail, I have confidence when I put it in the mail. What is this stamp? This is the blood of Christ applied to every believer's life. It is access to the position of Christ. And through the blood of Christ, we are made new. We are regenerated. We are born again. We become sons and daughters of God. And through that process of acknowledgement of the kingdom of God, the process of reliance on the kingdom, submission to the kingdom process, and obeying what the kingdom requires, we can pray with confidence knowing it's going to reach, at this address, the blood of the Lamb Lane, throne of God, 77777. So this I have confidence. Why? Because of a position through the blood of Christ. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, there's a process or a purpose of surrender. See, if I could, if you guys would, did cooking this Thanksgiving? Anybody here cook for Thanksgiving? All right. Now, I don't know if you, like, did any baking. Anybody do any baking, some pies or anything from, from scratch? You know, my, I love pie. Just love pie. Kroger pie, Walmart pie, your pie. doesn't matter. I love, I love pie. All right. And but I used to watch my mom cook, and she, they put the sifter out, right? You'd use a lot of flour, and maybe you'd do, deep, you know, she used to do a lot of deep-fried pork chops, and, and, and she used to do chicken and stuff. We're from the north, so all our comfort food is like fried and gravy. So that's all our, here it's like cheese and, and Mexican food, <laughs> so, and brisket, mm, sugary barbecue sauce. You know there's a lot of sugar in that barbecue sauce. All right, anyhow, so I would play with the sifter. Right? Because when you put in that, that chunky, clunky balls of flour and you shake it, what comes out is just like magic. It's like, it's like you put your hand under it as a kid and you're like, oh, you know, it's just, it just feels so cool. It's like air, but it's, it's just, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's really cool. It's fun to play with a sifter when you're a kid. So, if we could imagine this prayer of thy kingdom come, thy will be done as the sifter, as we drop in our sometimes selfish prayers and, and our, our kind of misguided motives, and, but when we drop it into the sifter of your will be done, what comes out is pure. What comes out is this brokenness to the will of God. So this is an invaluable part of our prayer. Everything from here forward in this prayer is sifted through surrender to the will of God, to his will. Because there is a king, and his name is Jesus, and there is a kingdom, that's the kingdom of heaven, and there is a surrendering to that king that must take place. So I have a trick question for you. Does prayer change things? It's a trick question because the answer is God changes things. You see, if prayer alone changed things, then world religions would have an incredible impact. But God alone, through Jesus, determines and accomplishes his will through prayers. But it's not our prayer that does it. It is God that does it as we submit our life to his will. It's been said that God will bend you, but he won't break you. But the truth is he will break you, but he won't crush you. His plan is to break you. That's why it's, God, your will be done. Sometimes breaking our will is painful. 
Sometimes we have to lay down our life, our marriage, our job. We have to lay our kids down before God and say, God, you will be done in my family. God, you will be done in my relationships. God, I'm single, and I don't know if I'm going to be single forever. I don't want to be, but God, your will be done. It is painful, and sometimes there's a breaking that has to take place of our will, a breaking of our bullheadedness, a breaking of our self-sufficiency. The amazing wonder of prayer is this. It's found in Isaiah 57, 15. It says, for this is what the high and exalted one says. He says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live high and in a holy place. That acknowledges his supremacy. But listen to this. It says, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in heart or broken in heart. To revive the spirit of the lowly and broken to revive the heart of the contrite. This all-powerful God of the galaxy is close to the broken. This is your kingdom come, your will be done. Matthew 6, he goes on to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven, and give us this day our daily bread. If we get the first part right, we'll understand this next part. If we can get your kingdom Uh, Your kingdom be done, your will be done, right. We can pray, give us this day. There's the third part. There's praise, there's purpose, and then there's provision. Provision has three parts, and the first part of this provision is give us this day our daily bread. It's our practical needs. God provides practically for us. Listen, God wants you to ask him what you have need of. He wants you to ask. He invites you to ask. He says you don't have because you don't ask. He wants you to, don't feel bad about asking God for something. And be persistent in that as you break your will and as you purge your selfishness and rely upon his faithfulness. We should never hesitate to ask. You're invited to ask. Jesus cares about what you have need of. How often are we to do this? He says, give us this day our daily bread. He wants you to ask every day what you have need of. Lamentation says his mercies are new every morning. How many of you guys know you need God every day? I don't need him just on Sundays and on the weekends and when my kids are in the hospital. I need him every day. I need to walk with him every day. I need to know his will every day. I need to submit what I have need of to the will of God every day. He says, give us this day our daily bread. But it doesn't say give us this day our daily Mercedes. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a prayer for our needs, not our greeds. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. See how submission to his will always precedes the ask. By the way, this week in Life Teams, you're going to learn how what not to pray for, okay? And why you should pray if God already knows what you have need of anyhow. You're going to find out in life teams this week. So there's practical needs and then there's spiritual needs. He says, and forgive us our debts or our sins. Sin is a debt. It's probably the greatest word to represent sin in all of the Bible. It's a great picture. When you buy something you can't pay for, when you swipe that credit card because you got, you know, 5% interest now until you skip a payment and it's 29%, you might swipe that card now. Because you're buying something you really shouldn't get. 
because you can't afford it. You don't have money for it, so you're going to put it onto somebody else to pay for it. They paid for it, and you're paying them back. That's a debt. You took something you can't pay, so you now owe somebody. All right? That's called debt. Now, the Bible refers to when something is taken from us, our, our, maybe you were abused, maybe you were hurt, maybe you're jaded by a relationship, maybe someone walked out on you, maybe uh, someone stole something from you, maybe a friend that you trusted really hurt you, right? Then that person created a debt. They, they took something from you. They took their, maybe they took your confidence. Maybe they took your self-esteem. Maybe they, they took your ability to trust others, right? They, they took that from you. A debt was created. And when you hurt somebody and when you do those things to others, you created a debt as well. That is why the Bible says our sins are like a debt. See, when they were talking to Jesus and Jesus said debt, you know what they saw? They saw people who were in economic slavery. Because when you were in debt in the time of Christ, you became a servant or a slave to those that you were indebted to. But here comes Jesus. He says, give me your debt. I'll pay for it. He invites you to bring your debt, that debt, that sin. He says, forgive us our debts. See, Jesus on the cross, when he shouted out, it is finished, what it meant in the original is paid in full. Paid in full. He says, man, that debt that you acquired, those places you went, the things you've done, the places where your feet took you, the words that you spoke, the people that you hurt, the things that you have thought, that's a debt. Paid in full on the cross, Jesus said. It is paid. Often nailed on the door of a home when someone was set free from debt, the debtors would go to the door and go, they would stamp on the door, paid in full. Leave this guy alone. No more collectors can come. It's been paid in full. And then we'd have information on where to go to collect that debt from the person who paid it. You see, Jesus, when you bow the knee to Christ, he nails on the door of your heart and on your life, paid in full. And anytime someone tries to come and collect that debt from you, you just point them to Jesus. Jesus forgave me. He set me free. He gave me a new start. He gave me a new chance. Colossians 2.13 says, And when you were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, made you alive, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses, canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There's no one too far away from the cross of Christ. So there's provision of practical needs, spiritual needs, and then there's a provision for relational needs. And forgive us our debts as we, it says, forgive our debtors. Our forgiveness is not payment. Christ has paid it. Let me put it this way. If I had $20 and I gave somebody $20 here and I said, you know, you walk out of here and if someone out there said, hey, do you have $20? Would you have $20 to give? Why would you have $20 to give? If I gave you $20 and said, give it away, do you have it to give away? Why? This is, not, this, is, this is not a complex answer. It's because it's been given to you. All right? Christ has called us to forgive as we have forgive, been forgiven. And as we have been forgiven, uh, 
Uh, we will be forgiven as we forgive. It's like this circular thing, right? Listen, what you've been given, you can give if you actually have been given it. Matthew 6, 12, he says, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is required. It's not an option. So when you go to that place of prayer, you know what you need to do? You need to search your heart. Who are you mad at? Who are you angry with? That boss, that coworker, that friend, that ex-friend, that ex? Who do you need to forgive? See, he provides for it all and the power for you to forgive. And then he ends with this, and I'm going to wrap it up with this thought here. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is kind of where we have been the last few weeks. I don't need to talk on it. It's basically spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.12 says, for our battle or our struggle is real. Everybody, turn your neighbor and say, the struggle is real. Tell them the struggle to stay awake right now is real. That turkey's catching up to you. He says, the struggle is real. He says, the struggle is not against flesh and against against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, this unseen battle. Listen, your enemy is not your co-worker. It's not your dad. It's not your boss. It's not that kid at school. It's, it's not some political party, and it's not Hollywood. It's not culture. It's fallen angels, and they are at war with you. And that's what this whole series has been about, the invisible war. But there's victory only for those who are in Christ Jesus. But let me ask you something. Dad, are you praying for your kids because the enemy is out to attack them? Are you praying for your wife because the enemy is out to destroy her? Wives, are you praying daily for your kids, for your husband, because the enemy has a plot against them? Are you praying for your son? Are you praying for your, are you praying for your friend? Do you see God's face for your life? Lead us not into temptation. This is spiritual protection and prayer. And then it ends with this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Look at the five. Praise, purpose, provision, protection, praise. It's like a sandwich. And the bread is gratitude, worship, praise, and humility. I tell you, if you can follow this Lord's Prayer model, you can pray anything. I want to challenge you guys to make this a part of your life. Begin this week. Begin tomorrow. Begin tonight. Take some time. You know, when I had uh, cancer, um, I prayed the Lord's Prayer model a lot because I was in bed a lot, and I just prayed just perpetually. And, and sometimes when I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep, some of you guys just struggle with insomnia, you go through the Lord's Prayer. Not just, our Father, our heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like, you like, you go through the model. You know what I do? I say our, and then I pray about what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Father, and then I just spend some time thinking about how God has healed me of my father and my pain and my past and, and my hurt and how God's helping me be a father by watching him be a father who art in heaven. His ways are not like mine. God, I, I acknowledge your power, your greatness. And I go word by word by word by word through the Lord's Prayer. And I find that I can barely make it through and I'm back to sleep. Not because it's boring, but because God has given me this great comfort and peace in praying his word and acknowledging his goodness. So if you don't know what to pray, Jesus said, Pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I want to encourage you to develop this life of prayer. We're heading into Christmas. Next week I start a Christmas series called Surviving Christmas. How to get through the holidays and keep yourself rooted <laughs> and not crazy. But I want to, this is, this is a life-changing opportunity for you today to embrace this gift of prayer, this privilege. Let's pray right now. God, thank you, Lord, that we're here right now, many of us as sons and daughters of God. And God, the very beginning of this prayer, Father, this privilege is based on family. And Lord, there are some here that are not sons and daughters. They're not the kids of God. If you're not one of God's kids, I want to give you that opportunity right now to become one of his kids. And it's very simple. It's an acknowledgement of your need. And an acknowledgement of what Christ has done. So if you're here right now and you... Feel that tug of the Holy Spirit on your heart to respond today. He's calling you home as one of his kids. And I want to invite you to pray right now in your own words. You say, Jesus, in your own words, especially those of you here that, that you know you're not a son or daughter of God. And, and today's the day. Just in your own words, say, Jesus, here I am. Jesus, here's my life. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. You're Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Just in your own words, however you want to say it, just talk to Jesus. Thank you for washing me clean. Teach me to walk with you as a disciple of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God, I pray that you'd help us to be people of prayer. God, that we would pray and trust and believe with confidence. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.